Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. One of the funniest things to hear when we go to meetups and, you know, catch up with listeners and stuff is they always say, it's really weird meeting you guys in person, not just because you're all way uglier than uh, you even warned us about, but because your voices at normal speed sound weird. Like I know folks listen to us at like 1.25, 1.5 speed. Someone told us that they listen at more than two times speed. And I'm like, that's insane. I understand you want to get through Brad's words quicker and you just want to get it over with. But at that point, how far off are you from just being Alvin and the Chipmunks? We've got to be close at two or two, two greater than two. Yeah. The bad takes at double the speed is just one hell of a way to experience the winged wheel podcast. Somewhere out there is someone who listens at less than one time speed. My and, God. Good for you. And we all just like Brad and I sound super cool. And Evan sounds like he is legitimately asleep. Yeah. Like I'm drowning in mud. <laughs> all right, folks, it's the off season. Let's not dilly dally too much. Welcome to the winged wheel podcast here to talk to you about all things hockey, the Detroit Red Wings, the world of the NHL. Uh, and the world of hockey in general. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we have a few topics to uh, bring up. One of them, which has come up over the years a, a couple times, but is at a little bit of a flashpoint right now, thanks to the QMJHL, and that is fighting in hockey. How is it affecting the CHL, junior levels? You know, Is it coming to the AHL eventually? How is this going to affect the future of hockey in the NHL? I'm sure we're going to have some varied opinions around this table. We'll also be talking about some potential upcoming changes that the Red Wings uh, are looking at in terms of their branding, according to a survey that's gone out recently, and then uh, little bits of NHL news before we get into overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know about two things. First of all, the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly supported by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to jump in and take that extra step to support the show, uh, those who go that extra mile uh, are part of the so-called Dub Dub Club and are the heart and soul of everything that the Winged Wheel podcast does. Some benefits are that you get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, which is a fantastic community uh, full of hockey discussion, Red Wings discussion, off-topic discussion, pretty much anything that you'd want to talk about, there's a, a channel in there for you. You also get access to our Patreon-exclusive overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones. And during the off-season, every midweek episode is Patreon-exclusive as well, so it's a little extra perk for our patrons. Additionally, you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Last season, we gave away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game. The vast majority of them went to our Patreon supporters, and this year is absolutely no different. Uh, so again, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. Secondly, upcoming Saturday, August 26th, is the Roast and Toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Littstrom, presented by Trinity Health at Motor City Casino in Detroit. It is going to be a phenomenal event. Uh, obviously, anytime we get a chance to roast Thomas Holmstrom and toast Nicholas Lidstrom, because, again, the perfect human, uh, you're not going to want to miss out to see them in person, uh, as well as others like Mike, or better known as Doc Emmerich, Chris Draper, Ian Bagg, Steve Ott, Jim Ralph. Obviously, Ken Daniels will be there. Various NHLers and Red Wings will be there as well. I was just chatting about uh, chatting about this with Ken the other day. It's it's looking to be a great event. So get your tickets at jamiedanielsfoundation.org. You're, you're going to want to get them soon. They're going fast. Again, that's Saturday, August 26th at 5.30, Motor City Casino. Fighting in hockey. More divisive year over year. And it seems like 
just naturally in the NHL, fighting is slowing down compared to, you know, the hockey that we grew up with. It'd be much harder for a Rock'em Sock'em VHS tape to be put together at the end of the year. A lot more hits, a lot fewer fights. Fight night at the Joe, that kind of thing doesn't really happen anymore. And it's becoming more of a discussion at junior levels as, you know, hockey at every kind of stage in development is taking a closer look at brain injuries, concussions, development of kids through over the years, uh, how is fighting and how is hitting part of that. And the most recent development on that front is a QMJHL has announced additions uh, or additional new sanctions for fighting. So some folks are calling it a fighting ban. Uh, some are saying it's more heavily pe- penalized, but the just gist of it is this. The leagues, uh, the QMJHL approved the following points. One, an addition of a game misconduct penalty for any player involved in a fight. So if you fight, you're out of the game. An addition of an automatic one-game suspension for any player declared the instigator of a fight. The addition of a minimum two-game automatic suspension for any player identified as the aggressor. In addition to the game misconduct, an automatic one-game suspension will be imposed once a player has reached his second fight rather than his third. So previously it was his third fight, they moved that up to his second. So overall, a lot heavier of a punitive look for fighting in the queue. You're, you're not just out for the game, but you're looking at suspensions thereafter, automatic and and some pretty high minimums as well. So initial reactions to this news. I mean, this is one of those topics I talk myself in circles around all the time because there's so many variables and so many things that change it. So at the junior level of hockey, I'm very conflicted about it. Now, first, it's probably worth mentioning because like you said, it's not a ban. It's harsher punishment. So in extreme cases of self-policing, it can still be done. The cost to do so is just higher. However, you know, these are teenagers aged 16 to 20 years old, not the demographic that should be punching each other in the head. So objectively, you don't want to see kids fighting. That's the reality of it. And that's where I generally fall is this is kids. Why are they fighting? This is dumb. But my own counter argument to myself is these are kids. Every league, especially in junior hockey and everybody who's ever played minor hockey and anybody who's played uh, any level of serious hockey above junior knows there's a meatheads on every team who want to run you. They want to hurt you. They don't care about the puck. They are not throwing a hit for positioning. They are not throwing a hit, you know, because it's the correct play. They want to throw a highlight reel, holy hell, what was that hit? This guy's going to wake up tomorrow type hit. We all know it. Everybody who's played knows these guys exist on almost every single team. And without fighting, there isn't much of a deterrent for them at the junior level. And I can speak myself personally, and again, this is just one person's anecdotes, but my major concussions grow up were from hits and I've been punched in the face a bunch. That's a surprise to me. Yeah. But obviously it hurts. Not, I don't love it, yeah. but I, I never had any serious repercussions from a punch and I've been very lucky that way, but I have had serious repercussions from heavy, dirty hits where shoulder to head, like woke up the next day in a hospital. I've literally had that happen. Like I've been that guy. And so I, I don't know. In junior hockey, it's a huge, huge conflict in my mind because, again, this is all thrown out the window if you ever got competent refs 100% of the time. But one, it's human nature. That's not 
possible to. We've all seen CHL refing. This is not something I have any faith in to be able to properly police a game by themselves. So on the one hand, I agree. Teenagers should not be punching each other in the head. But on the other hand, it's junior hockey. There's got to be some kind of deterrent so the meathead fourth liner playing five minutes a game doesn't think he has carte blanche to just run around and injure anybody on the other team. Yeah, I think I land in a very similar headspace as Brad, which, trust me, is terrifying. (laughs) You've been punched in the face too then. Yeah. He played Uh, junior C. He's probably been punched in the face more than me. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, like, I I don't know. My knee-jerk reaction as soon as I heard it was just a big old eye roll. But, you know, I mean, I... A lot of what Brad says is, is things I echo as well. Is should twenty-one-year-olds be beating the hell up of sixteen-year-olds? No, I don't think that's right. But I think you know one thing that could happen out of this is guys will just start running each other instead. It's like, oh, you're you're gonna run one of our guys, and they'll just blow someone up instead of fighting. And when people don't see those hits coming, it's way worse than a fight. So. <sighs> For how many kids make it into professional hockey from the Q, from in the CHL in general, from the feeder leagues, it's so small. So, should these kids be risking, you know, their long term health for short term game and a gain in a very small chance at playing professional hockey? Probably not. But I'm the type of person who thinks fighting should remain in in the game. I think it's an important element of the game. It's a People might hate to say it. It's a competitive advantage for not only the players over each other, but also for the league and the the sport over other sports. So that's just a long way of me saying I don't know how I feel. I see strong points on both sides. In my opinion, has always been no one's forcing you to fight. They've clearly made the penalties pretty strong, and we've seen fighting continue to go down. To me, it's a big non-issue that they're just trying to address. What it falls to for me is specifically what you both have pointed out, Brad and Evan, which is there's a big age disparity in junior leagues. And, you know, 16-year-olds and 20-year-olds, you don't need to be— I've seen a lot of 16-year-olds beat the wheels off (laughs) 21-year-olds. Right, and and that's But but we've also seen Ovechkin versus Svechnikov, and that also happens a lot in junior (laughs) hockey. Svechnikov hasn't, but everyone else has. (laughs) It's— you you don't have to be a professional hockey player to know how different physically their bodies are. Even a big 16-year-old versus someone who's been playing at that level for 4 years, that could be that could cause some serious harm. And it's just not there's no function to it at that point. And let's say there's a 20-year-old who somehow has a chance of going to the next level, they had some weird development path and they just weren't drafted, you know, right when their peers were typically. That might happen, but in general, you also don't want a situation where there's a guy who knows it's his last year in the CHL or knows it's his last year playing any kind of competitive hockey that might lead to a future. So he's at the end of the road. After that, he's going to be going to play NCAA hockey maybe or, or whatever it might be. And he sees a kid, some superstar, that kid gives him one slash and all of a sudden he's pummeling him. Like That, that to me, you don't want to see. It doesn't happen all the time. Like This isn't you know an epidemic of 20-year-olds beating the crap out of 16-year-olds, but it happens enough. Or the fact that it could happen in a sanctioned way is, it's a, it's a common sense rule for me. Where I do differ in general 
is I do, and this isn't popular, and I, I will fully accept arguments to the contrary. I know there's a couple of people who are always really angry when I say this, and that's fine. I do think fighting belongs in hockey to the degree that fighting happens in hockey. What I mean by that is as the game adjusts, if fighting goes down, then that's fine. And it has. And it has. Personally, like, I grew up going to Windsor Spitfires game at that barn. And, you know, some of my, good or not, but some of the most entertaining memories I had is when it was just a yard sale on the ice. The bench is clear and it was hilarious. And I understand I'm not going to be upset the fact that they're going to make that much more rare. Like that, I have no problem with that, but there is also an element to the game competitively as you really well laid out, Evan, like whether you like it or not, it is a competitive advantage that's baked into the rules and there's an entertainment aspect. But for me, that is, that belongs at the NHL level. The only concern that I have with this rule change is what Evan referred to earlier, which is if guys feel like they need to fight and they don't want to be suspended the next game, let's say they're in the playoffs or something, you're really going to have to make sure any punitive measures for bad hits that follow are going to be also, you know, uh, uh, trying to reduce the effect of that because that is a big, big risk, those hits. Because as Brad said, big hits are more dangerous for long-term brain damage in my mind than getting hit in the face with a, a fist once or twice. And people used to use fighting as a way of ending sort of the, I'll say conflict, that's probably a little dramatic, but... No, it's a release valve. Yeah, it... it if the referees weren't calling everything to settle the situation down, you know, a fight kind of usually ended everything. I know Red Wings fans would argue the opposite, <laughs> but uh, typically, you know, once you have the fight, you you know, you've squared it away and everybody goes on their own merry way. So now we're going to see a lot of tit for tat where people just start blowing each other up. Maybe, maybe we will. I, I shouldn't say that we will see that, but I'm just trying to put myself in those shoes where it's like, okay, like if I can't fight, I'm just going to blow this guy up when yeah. he comes around the net. Yeah. It's, again, we've all played hockey and most of the people listening to this have played hockey. We know the situations when a game gets out of hand. It's no ref, no coach is talking most of these guys off the ledge, you know, whether you're 40 years old, 20 years old, 10 years old. We've been in these situations and fighting is at least... Yeah, it's a de-escalator. It's that honor code. You know, I was in a situation last year or two years ago in a playoff series where a guy on the team we were playing ran a, ran one of our best players from behind, like second shift of the series. Our guy stepped up to fight him He and he wouldn't go. And, you know, we had several guys like, okay, man, like you knocked our guy out. I think he ended up missing two or three games. Like you're answering the bell and he wouldn't. So you know what happened? Every man on our bench to a T had a directive, run this guy every chance you get. Yeah. Every chance. Again, should he have stepped up to fight? I don't know. That's up to him. He didn't want to. He didn't have to. Nobody was forcing him. We weren't just grabbing him and sucker punching him, but he got hit a lot. He was probably way more sore after that series than he would have been had he just stepped up at the beginning. But again, it's a fight. It's, you know, the guys, you know who get completely KO'd are so few and far between, but it happens and that's always a risk. But same with hitting the guys who get KO'd on a hit, very rare, but it happens. So I don't have stats in front of me to tell me what's more likely to happen. But again, as a hockey player myself, I would much rather get in one fight, deescalate the situation than to get run for an, try to get ran for an entire game or an entire series or 
Man, we've seen grudges in the NHL hold, held for years. Yeah. Like, I would rather just be like, all right, you know, take your shots. This is going to hurt. This is going to suck. As long as I don't get KO'd, it's done. And the hockey code that we have referenced a million times uh, is stupid. We all agree it's stupid, but it works for the most part. And answering the bell, as they call it, usually does end a situation, at least with that player. It may not de-escalate the whole game because other guys are mad at other players for a million reasons. But if that one guy has a target on his back and someone steps up to him and he goes, all right, yep, nine out of 10 times it's done. There's very few circumstances where it goes on. So again, I don't know what's more dangerous, but it is always worth considering when talking about this particular topic. The code is stupid, but it's a sport. It's a stupid sport played by stupid people. (laughs) It kind of is necessary. So I think where everyone lands is this rule does make sense considering the age and rule circumstances of the the QMJHL and the CHL in general. Well, what's the purpose of this league? Is it to... It's a development league. Well, okay. So are they developing developing players for what? The next level. And what can you do at the next level? Fight. You can fight. So well, does that actually help those kids who, okay, the small percentage of kids who will move to those professional leagues, right. does it prepare them for those scenarios? Because now they're they're running into men who've got hands like cinder blocks. Well, that, that's actually a really good point. And sorry, Ryan, I know you want to talk here, but I have a good branch off point to compare this to because I had a similar conversation with someone about something else entirely a couple days ago. He was actually one of Mika's hockey coaches, really, really bright dude. And we were talking about hitting what age it should start for kids because they keep pushing it back. And he was using the example of the COVID year where almost all minor hockey was canceled for that year. So that age group that was supposed to start, I think it was at 13. Was was that 13 now? It's 12 or 13. God, we were like 10. (laughs) Yeah. I think we were younger. It would have been 10 or 11 when I was a kid. Is my, oh my is my uh, memory recall related to this? Probably not. <laughs> but um, either way, so what happened, and he noticed, because again, he coached um, a AAA team at this age bracket. The kids who missed their first year of hitting for COVID started a year later, which again, anybody who has kids or been around kids, you know, this is around the age a bunch of them start sprouting up. So he said the physical differences between kids just even that one year was substantial and none of them knew how to make a hit or take contact. And he said it was that entire season for them was a shit show. He said at no point in this entire season did they have any less than two players out of the lineup, which for minor hockey is substantial. Like I, That's bad. I think I had in minor hockey two injuries that put me out longer than two weeks for... And I was literally, and I mean this statement literally, the smallest kid in my league growing up every time. If someone like me can go all 10 years or whatever it was with only two injuries, and this team has two kids out the entire time, that's telling you something. So not only are these kids not prepared, we're not prepared for this league, it made the situation worse. So to Evan's point, if these kids don't learn to fight when I know 20 to 16 year old is still a substantial difference. But you're a 20-year-old going in and in your first league, all of a sudden a 29-year-old dude who's been in the pro leagues for seven, eight years grabs you, you're doomed. See, this is where I disagree. I think for hitting, 
yeah, obviously need to be prepared. I think in the modern NHL, you can go start to end and not know how to fight and be completely fine. No, yeah, that's the NHL. How many kids from any given QMJHL team are making the NHL? The answer is maybe one. Yeah, it's very few. But most of these guys are going to end up in the AHL, ECHL, Europe, the FPHL, the SPHL. There is a lot more fighting in those leagues. Yeah. And it's not as well regulated as the NHL. The paychecks are smaller. Like, it's a different sport at those levels. And if you're, again, a 20-year-old kid who played in a league with no fighting and, you know, this is, obviously we're talking in minorities here, but you were one of those shithead kids who ran around and just never had to pay the consequences and you get signed to a team who goes, we like your style. We want you to come play that. And you do that at the next level. And the first grown ass man that grabs you and goes, no, yeah, that could end very badly. Again, we joke about the Ovechkin Svechnikov situation, but it would be something very similar to that in a lot of these circumstances. I'm torn on that though, because I don't think, I think, Obviously, the physicality and the body checking, it's actually a big catch-22 with kids because, like, yes, you want to reduce the amount of small but repetitive hits to the head, and that's how you reduce CTE and and brain damage over time. But you also want to prepare kids for higher levels of hockey if they want to play, and that means you need to be hitting sooner. I was small growing up, but we started hitting very young, and so I knew how to take a hit. So my injuries were somewhat mitigated because I knew how to get clobbered pretty much. With fighting... You're, you make a good point, Brad. In the NHL, you can make it start to end based on talent and, and avoid most fights. But if you're going to the FPHL, at that point, it's, but that's a decision at that point for those players in my mind. No, you're and right. frankly, I think those leagues will change too over and it, time. Yeah, no, I agree fully. Like, hell, I play senior A and everybody knew the senior A stereotype. I, like the team I played on last year, I think we averaged a fight every four to five games. It Like hockey, in, when senior A has that few fights, you know times are changing. Yeah. But- Again, we're talking in this whole conversation in the minorities, right? Like, it's not marginal stuff. Yeah, ninety percent of players are never going to fight. They're not running around and doing anything that's going to justify a fight. You know what I mean? Like, again, growing up, I barely got injured, but I also was not the guy running around being Brad Marchand out there. So, of course, I'd never gotten a fight in minor hockey. Why the hell would I have had to? But there are players like that, and you know, you can easily sit here and say, "Man, this is a twenty-one-year-old grown-ass adult. He knows better." I've think, been 21 once. <laughs> yeah, I think we can all uh, sit here and agree. Uh, no, they don't. No. Listen, any chance I got to blow somebody up, I was take, going down the train tracks. Yeah, and whether Evan wanted to fight or not, if he caught someone in the trolley tracks and put him on his ass, <laughs> Evan needed to be ready. Yeah. Someone was coming, especially in junior C, he blinks at a guy. He probably has to drop the There were some fight, some fight circles out there for sure. You have to do it if you want to get a coffee after the game. Like, Yeah. Okay, so moving this to the NHL because that's the obvious next step in a lot of people's minds is, okay, if we're going to start to see these rules, if we're going to start to see these rule changes in a league one or two below the NHL, is this coming to the NHL? So your opinion on the matter at the NHL level, and do you think it's going to come at the NHL level? Do I think it's going to come at the NHL level? I honestly don't have a good feel for this. I don't think it needs to, because I think it's gradually phasing itself out of the NHL Yep. just by the nature of the sport change. So I actually don't think it's a topic the NHL really needs to address. Uh, my opinion of it at the NHL level is it should stay like these are not kids. These are grown ass men making grown ass decisions who've been playing in a grown ass league for a long time. Yeah. They, you don't get to the NHL without being fully aware of everything involved in the game of hockey from how to properly stick handle to what the code is. 
They all know it. They all know what they're signing up for, and they're all being compensated very handsomely to abide. So if you want to be an Andrei Svechnikov and make a very dumb decision. Yeah, he, he, yeah. That's, that's on him. Like, it's not on Ovechkin to say, I'm not going to punch you in the head. You have agreed to the circumstances. You are now going to face the consequences. Again, for me, the big distinction is these are not kids. And this is the highest level of this sport in the world. Nobody's going in there with eyes closed. Everybody knows the deal. Believe it or not, I agree with Brad on this as well. This is um, a Twilight Zone episode. I know, What's going on? I know. It must be Sunday. Yeah, I, I agree with what Brad said. Like, to me, these are adults. They're the big boys. And, you know, people want to piss and moan about fighting. Well, MMA is one of the biggest sports in the world. And it is gruesome. And it is bloody. And it is combative. And people love it. So... As much as people don't want to have it in hockey, like I've said just earlier, it's a competitive advantage they have over the other sports, and it it's a non-issue for me. It, the fighting is way down. No team has a couple big heavyweights anymore. You see, there's maybe there's like two or three guys, two in the or league. three guys in the league who are considered heavyweights, can are a bit a bit of knuckle draggers, but. You don't see it anymore. You don't see those line brawls. You don't see... You see a fight here and there. I don't even remember the last Wings game we were at where there was a fight. Could have been the last playoff game, to be honest. And I don't even know if there was one in that game. Like where we were there in person. Yeah, right? yeah. So, to me, it's it's a whole big non-issue. My opinion, my personal opinion is it should remain in the game for all points I've already mentioned. And I, I don't think the NHL really sees it as a problem. I think you've both hit the nail on the head there. So we definitely should abolish the podcast, the fact that all three of us agree, or even that Evan, you and I can't come up with a single rebuttal against Brad. We're failing a lot of people right now. But no, in in all seriousness, I don't even under, I can't even play devil's advocate for it because I just don't totally see where the, the whole strong argument is the, to eliminate fighting. The only thing that I that I where I will say I'm anti-fighting at least at the NHL level and again it's all but gone already so it's a non-issue it's just the staged fights yeah like the the Ryan Reeves in the, of the world are useless now like the Leafs are hurting themselves every time he's on the ice yeah he's gonna throw one or two highlight real hits a year he'll have one or two you know really good really entertaining fights a year but for the most part nobody dresses a quote-unquote Ryan Reeves deterrent because they don't care. He's a negative impact on the team he's fl- playing for. They Every team sees him in the lineup and they go, thank you. Like, it, it's a non-issue. Like, so those staged fights, they serve no purpose in the game. They slow the game down. And the players who typically serve that role are not any entertaining players to watch for 59 and a half minutes of a game. You know what I mean? I so st- Yeah, I still don't see the whole, where's the strong argument against fighting? Yeah, because... Again, if we're talking brain injuries and this in your argument, you, for me, and again, I know it's not a one-to-one comparison before everybody comes out. If your entire thing is we have to abolish brain injuries in the NHL, 100%, it's not going to happen. I would love it to happen, and that's an ideal world. But then you have to take hitting out. Again, I've been punched in the face plenty of times. Zero concussions from those. I have had a lot of concussions in my life. Every single one of them was an open ice check to the head or barreled from behind into the boards. Every single one of them. So, again, 
I understand there is no good health benefits of fighting. I understand it fully. And I understand that it's gradually phasing out of the NHL. And I understand that the point I'm making about stage fights is moot because they're basically dead. But the biggest injuries from hockey come from hitting. So if you are sitting there and going, there is no reason any grown person should suffer a brain injury at their job. I a hundred percent understand what you're saying. And I almost don't even disagree with you, but you can't pick one and not the other. If you are anti-fighting because you're anti-brain injury, you need to be anti-hitting then, which again, that's an argument I will listen to, but you can't, you can't handpick. You can't pick and choose. It's all or none. I get brain injuries when I get into Zoom meetings. That should have just been an email. So <laughs> yeah. even I get brain injuries at work. Our group chat is the biggest source of brain injury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was, today wasn't my best performance. I'll admit <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> our, our group chat somehow sets society back a couple of years every time we're active. What I will admit, and I again, I fall into the same camp as you guys, wherein I think there is a place for it in, in this sport, acknowledging that it's a divisive topic for the the pressure letting argument that we made before it blows off steam and it controls things from getting worse in a worse way which is dangerous hits because this is a violent fast sport and those big hits are even more dangerous than fighting but something i will offer up in the interest of devil's advocate is we grew up with this the next generation might look at us like we are absolute neanderthals like they're going to listen to this episode in 20 years and go holy these guys are out to lunch what kind of boomer meathead like ancient archaic way of thinking is this and that just might be the way the direction the league is going but to reinforce and wrap up based on evan's point that he's made multiple times here i want it to happen naturally if it's going to happen if that's the way this seems to right it seems to be the way it's going and i won't have any complaint that way i just don't want to see it mandated by rule to happen this way yeah I, i should also point out too so i don't come off as too callous with my point I, while I'm saying all this, I'm also a big believer that every headshot in the NHL should be illegal. Like to me, I'm, I'm of the mindset of, I don't care if the player's looking straight at you and runs into the trolley tracks. It's on you to not hit him in the head. You can lower yourself, catch him in the chest, catch him in the shoulder. Again, anybody who's played hockey, even at the lowest levels knows it's not that difficult to not hit a guy in the head. So I'm not pro brain injury, but I, when it comes to the NHL, hell of a quote, (laughs) but I, I am like understanding you know what you're signing up for and you're being compensated for it in the nhl yes i would like to see some rule changes to reduce it again staged fights are all but gone which is a great step i would love to see them like i just said ban headshots entirely like you hit a guy in the head five minute major enjoy your you know setting your team back but again it's it's a fine line because if you want to solve the problem completely you're you're changing the fundamentals of the sport Well, this is going to be a divisive topic, and I know folks will be passionate about it, but that doesn't mean that we can't have the discussion. So by all means, let us know in the comments, mentions, DMs, whatever, put the uh, particularly nasty ones towards Evan and he'll feel. Yeah, I'll get right on those. Yeah. But let's be honest, Ryan, you're going to be the only ones reading this because Evan and I know better. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, because I've had too many concussions. But it's a worthy conversation. So we offer all this forward knowing that there is no exact right answer on this. So if you, you know, vehemently disagree with us, that is completely okay. Let's jump into something way easier to think about and a lot more fun. 
The Red Wings have recently put out a survey to fans covering, you know, a, a few different points. A lot of the standard ones. How often do you go to games? What do you like to see uh, in terms of entertainment at the arena, et cetera, et cetera. But there were a couple pointed areas in which they reached out and want to get the hockey town fan base perspective. And two of those were having a mascot, an official mascot. I know we all might think Al the Octopus is the the mascot, but an official mascot who's there at games like Gritty and and others. And the second one is adding an official third jersey. So the Red Wings have had special event jerseys, Winter Classic, Centennial Classic, uh, whatever outdoor games it might be, the Retro Reverse Series, but how about adding an official third jersey? There was also talk about uh, basically trying to get the, the pulse on what's more important for fans, the history of the team in terms of how it's presented or looking more forward towards the future, but you don't necessarily know what decisions they're trying to make when they ask that. So in general, let's start with the whole mascot conversation. Should the Red Wings have an official mascot? I know it's a hot topic right now. This is the big important stuff in the offseason. I know we've talked about this. I think it was in a Patreon exclusive. And my opinion hasn't changed since that conversation. And it's a dramatic yes, but with specifics involved. Okay. It needs to be the octopus. You can call it Al or with the whole, you know. Al Sabotka situation. Yeah, it might not be. Maybe name it something else. I don't care what you name it. But it needs to be a giant purple octopus that walks around the arena. And this thing has to have obnoxiously long foam tentacles so that when it's walking up and down the aisles, it's hitting everybody in the back of the head as it goes (laughs) up and down. This thing needs to be a nuisance. And I would love every second of it. Be more like Gritty, less like Bowie. Oh, what's with the boo? Oh, you really hate Bowie. I forgot yeah, about Bowie's that. He's no good. He fr- you see Bowie when you take like too many Benadryls and go to sleep. Yeah. He's your hat man. I think that'd be hysterical. Just like price in the amount of like reimbursed beers that you'd have to get for people. Every time he walks down the stairs, he'll probably knock one or two out, comically throw popcorn in the air, that kind of thing. But yeah, fully agree. This might, this is probably a nostalgia thing too, but I loved in playoff games, the giant Al the Octopus being lowered to the ice. Oh man, that, that's one of my core Red Wings memories was being in the first time I was in the building and I seen that octopus come down from the rafters. Yeah. Maybe the reason we haven't seen it since in a while is because the Red Wings haven't made the playoffs, but I hope that the next time the Red Wings make the playoffs, they do that again, but it just feels too far detached. I feel like the last game where we were at, they did it. Did they not? Like I kn- the, the last hockey game we were playoff game. playoff game. Oh yeah, for sure at the playoffs. Yeah, because that was 2016 against Tampa. Yep. Yeah, that pretty sure they did. I know I was at the two years prior, uh, one of the playoff games against Boston, and they did it then. I remember that for sure. But the advent of the Seattle Kraken. Now they have they use the squid. This is I mean this is off 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 season content, but they use a squid emoji, and the Kraken in general is represented in a lot of different ways. I just don't want to see Detroit pushed away from the octopus identity. I think it's one of the coolest traditions in sports. I don't think you'll ever get hockey town fans to stop throwing octopi on the ice. I even though it's not the official team logo, it's not the Detroit Octopodes, but Red Wings fans are going to be throwing an octopus on the ice. Dude, how many octopus octopi are going to be on the ice the first time this team makes the playoffs again? A lot. It, 5 before the national anthem is over. Guaranteed. Eight years worth, at least. They're going to have to delay the game. Fishmongers are demanding (laughs) playoff success. Their inventory levels are unsustainable. They must be sold. They're going to have to add an inch of standing water to the ice just so they can just 
scoop them all out that much easier. I don't think you're going to remove that tradition. I know the league would like to see it gone, but the Red Wings don't. Shut, and Red Wings, shut, all I have to say to that, shut up, nerds. Shut, like, Shut up, Gary. Yeah. The Red Wings fans don't want to see it gone. And so with that, I'm just saying if they go in a different direction for a mascot, it would feel like a step away from that part of it. And if I'm being like an old head and I don't want to let go of tradition and what I grew up with, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. But that's what I know and that's what I love. And that was one of the coolest parts of the Red Wings identity for me. And so, yeah, mascot for sure. They make it the octopus. I understand if you can't call it out the octopus for obvious reasons, but I want that octopus. And it's that's what you make the mascot. And, and let's be honest. I don't know what a mascot made of wheels and wings would look like, but it would be nightmare inducing. We could no longer bring children to games. Okay, but that's also an option. If you're going to do anything about the octopus, you have to really lean into the ridiculous of it. Like everybody mocked the first sightings of Gritty in Philly. That's the greatest mascot in sports now. Yeah. Like nailed it. Like they leaned into the ridiculous of it all. So you either have to bring back, bring something, you know, fans love the octopus, or you have to have a car with wings that drives up and down the concourse. Like, I don't know. It has to be stupid. Like a functioning vehicle with a motor and everything. Like Optimus Prime, but with red wings. Like just something unbelievably stupid that you can't help but love it. Well, at least have Carlton the bear, and that's kind of like that's not neutral. related at all. Yeah. Yeah. And he's beloved in Toronto. Like, yeah. it's not like he's just there. For me, it's the fact that they used to have Al, like, lowered from the ceiling. What you the gotta, hell was that mascot that. the Red Wings had in the 80s now? I'm getting flashbacks. Didn't they have, like, a giant chicken or something yes. stupid like that? Yes, they did. I winger can't or something insane like that? The Red Winger. Yeah. Uh, oh, no. And he was there from 82 to 87, and he his kind of nightmare-inducing. Are there pictures? Oh, Can yeah. You, oh, my oh, God. Oh, boy. Yeah. That is terrible. That's what but you, you know do what? when you... Did your homework too late? And you're like, ah, shit. We'll just make it a chicken. They tried it for five. <laughs> they tried it for five years. So power to them. We didn't always have Al before. We had the Red Wing. You know, this team is really, really bad. You know, what we should do have a red chicken as our mascot. <laughs> That'll bring them back. We already had growing up. You already had to deal with so many like uh, Dead Wings jokes before the Red Wings actually won the cup and the whole chicken wings thing. So it's it's a little bizarre to me that they did choose what looks like a chicken. I don't think it was supposed to be. I don't be. think it was supposed to be, but it sure looks like one. Tonight's Red Wings game brought to you by Colonel Sanders. <laughs> I'm sure that's happened well. I'm sure they've sponsored a power Dude, play in their life. Dude, screw it. Throw a little Caesars mascot in a Red Wings jersey and call it a day. Just have him chuck pizzas at children. Unironically, I like it. Oh, uh, no. Unironically, just using the corporate sponsorship because it's owned by the Illiches and just doubling him as the Red Wings mascot. I'm sorry, but that's kind of great. Oh, yeah. And toss pizzas. All hail capitalism, but but make it funny. <laughs> they, should make it a giant, right? <laughs> they should make it a giant leather boot for the Red Wing boots. I don't know they, why that collab hasn't happened yet. I Red it, Wings boots. Sponsor the podcast, please. Yeah, please, God, I will wear the shit out of your shoes. Yeah. They're amazing. I, or are they? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I've, heard, I've heard conflicting stories. See okay, what kind of situation. Hold on. Getting back to the original point of this conversation, yeah, well, how many Red Wing boots can you fit on an octopus? This is just good marketing, people. At least eight, will, right? Will the person in it, in the costume's legs, will those also be tentacles, or are they oh, going to just try to match? This smart. is a, logistically. No, there will be four people in that costume. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, we're not topping that. So let's get to the <laughs> let's get to the actual more substantial one. The Red Wings for years were one of the very few teams who have never had a third jersey. They always prided themselves on validly having one of the best jerseys in sports, one of the best logos in sports, one of the cleanest sports uniforms there is. And so for that reason, they didn't want a third jersey. Now, we all know the Winter Classic. For those of you watching on YouTube, we have a couple. We have uh, three jerseys, the Centennial and two different Winter Classic jerseys up above us. And for I love the Detroit-Toronto Winter Jersey. Uh, winter classic jersey. I think that Red Wings jersey is maybe one of my favorite jerseys of all time across any sport. They all look great, and we've seen good ones, we've seen bad ones, the reverse retros, we've seen a couple divisive ones. So there have been non-standard Red Wings jerseys. Has the ice been broken enough where you're open to a, a regular use third jersey now? I've always been open to it, and it's it, for me, it's an obvious yes. The catch here is, and I know when I say that, the traditionalists immediately uh, emerge from their caves and their hibernation and go, you can't mess with the Red Wings jerseys, to which I agree. I've always agreed. Every time this sentiment comes up, I've never once said change of the home and away jerseys. Those jerseys should remain like that until the day at least I die. After that, you can do whatever the hell you want. They're changing the jerseys in three weeks? But... <laughs> but Beyond that, they can do whatever the hell they want for a third jersey. Even if I like the jersey or not, I will always appreciate the effort. Like, you know, the retro reverse from this year, reverse retro, sorry, from this year, I didn't love, but like, I appreciate what they tried. They they got the right concept, which is could have executed a little better. But again, I appreciate it. I love the reverse retro program in the NHL. That's been an unbelievable success. And again, someone who works uh, retail with hockey stuff, I can tell you, fans have received it very, very well as well. So I'm, I love programs like that. I love when you get the winter classic in the outdoor game throwbacks. So yeah, naturally having a third Jersey would make a ton of sense. My only fear would be, it's just something that maybe aesthetically I don't love. And then I'm lukewarm on the whole thing because eh, it's not a Jersey I'd buy. If they made this like the, the OG white and red barber pole, I probably buy a Jersey of every player on the team, but <laughs> You're going to have to start you're to sell your house and live with one of us. It's fine. It's worth it. I'll, the jerseys will keep me warm. But um, <laughs> yeah, and again, I don't care if they go with something completely modern. Like if they introduce an octopus mascot and then come out with some ridiculous purple jersey, oh, please. sign me the hell up. Please. I am in. But if they wanted to go super old school and have like some sort of Detroit Falcons themed hypothetically third jersey, I would also love that. So I, I'm a big proponent of have as much fun with this stuff as you can. Come out with a new third jersey every year, plus a reverse retro, plus an outdoor game every year for all I care. Just don't touch the home and away and have as much fun as you can in between. Yeah, I think the team, I think that's the direction they're going. I think the team will never touch the home and away except for minor tweaks here and there, depending on, you know, they had to change the collar every time they went from Reebok to Adidas or whatever. But in general, like that style is so clean. But if they go in the direction of having either one of these two Winter Classic jerseys, the Chicago or the Toronto game, I would be all for that. And if they get wacky with something like purple and, and the octopus on there, I'd be at least down to try and see. You always have these as a fallback. You have the the, the original barber pole as a fallback. Like, there's so many good jerseys you can choose from, and I think it's fun. A purple jersey, and the sleeves are tentacles. That is big, like Tampa Bay Lightning original jerseys. When they raise their arms, there's lightning down their armpits. Jersey, 
I know, I don't know if Fanatics is cool enough to do this, but if you're a Fanatics jersey designer, please, I will take back every bad thing I've said about you if you design that, please. If you do a Red Wings jersey with tentacles as arms, you are going to get so much money from the weebs, you can't possibly <laughs> imagine. I think, I think third jersey, like I understand the whole where to... The history is too prevalent, et cetera, et cetera. And that might have carried more weight like in 2005. But with retro reverse programs, with the Winter Classics, with Centennial Classic, with other outdoor games, the stadium series, you've already had so many alternate jerseys. You may as well just cash in. And let, let's look at, I don't care about the financial aspect of this, but it's a real thing. For a league that's always looking to expand profits and whatever, I think ownership is going to go in that direction no matter what. For any teams who aren't capitalizing on it, you create a new jersey, it's a whole brand new type of jersey where current jersey owners, like us, for a very historic team, who we've had our jerseys for years and years and years, well, we're not really that likely to buy a new Red Wings jersey every year, but we will be if there's a third one. And that's capitalism, baby. That's a, the whole theme of this episode is capitalism. Yeah, I agree with you guys, and I'd probably, well, I'm definitely the least into jerseys in this podcast. So, Everybody knows the NHL wants to find ways to make more money, so do do a third jersey, a new third jersey every year, and just do something cool, do something creative. The AHL team, AHL teams do very creative jerseys all the time, so I think you can lean in there for some inspiration. I I have no problem with it at all. The height of corporatism, like look at the, for example, like international soccer, not international soccer, I should say, like the English Premier League. They do jerseys every year. New new home kit, new away kit, new third kit every year. Every year. And they'll keep the general style, but they'll change like shoulders, striping. Sometimes they'll add like a pattern in the background. Randomly, a team whose colors are red and white. Like I'm a Liverpool fan, so red and white colors. And their third kit is purple this year. How would you guys feel if they did stars in some fashion for the number of cups you've won? I love that. I love stuff like that. Like obviously if Montreal, it's like, okay, if you have more than 10, we'll have to do like a... Uh, big star uh, like, the, like so, a, the silver gold, star turns gold or something like that yeah, yeah yeah so like that represents 10 and then you've got x amount more i think that's so badass Have yeah it. you could do it in lots of places let's, on the jerseys let's steal a grand rapids theme here okay red wings third jersey black jersey red trim jurassic park logo with wings i will be literally the first person to buy that <laughs> evan not the jersey guy will buy every single game you sign i want it. yeah i want that jurassic park griffin's jersey so the broadcast bad. just cuts there's a crazy fan on the bench just evan sitting there trying to rip the jersey off of mo side or mid game <laughs> they already have a fly swatter no evan, <laughs> how to get through security again he told us he was shea weber <laughs> Okay, ideal third jersey, any style, get as crazy as you want. What would you pick? Oh, man. Like, the traditionalist in me, again, is, everybody knows I love the barber pole concept for Red Wings jerseys, but I feel like this is a good opportunity to get creative. I think with the first iteration of this, you have to go vintage just because you just have to grab the safe choice here because, you know, the fan base would love it, so a barber pole would work. Something like the red and cream outdoor jersey would work. But the second year, I would want something weird. Like, I want weird. I want, like, a black, a purple. Hell, silver could work if done properly. Yeah, I I slandered silver when it first came out. Then I saw it in person. I went, I was wrong. That's sweet. Yeah, so there's a million ways you can go. So I, I would alternate. I would do it, like, a new one every year. And I would alternate vintage, 
something a little wacky, vintage, something a little more modern, vintage. Again, go back to the wacky. Just, you know, that that would be my preference. So I would go, for me, I'd go barber pole. I'd go purple. I'd go back to that, something with that cream color. Then I'd do a black, like, just just something to keep people interested without getting repetitive. I would do straight up just the 2014 Winter Classic Detroit vs. Toronto red with cream and the old school logo. That is easily my favorite Red Wings jersey ever. Hell, reverse retro the retro. Like maybe make it a primary cream and just like take that jersey but invert the colors. Like that is so good. That'd be sick. Like I remember for, um, was it the 09 one over your right shoulder? The alumni wore a red version of that yes. for him, and that thing slapped. Yes. So also an option. I know, like, I think you can get creative if they go with, like, a, a different mascot. You get wacky, you use black, you use a different color. I agree, but I think one, two, three of their standard home and away, and, you know, either the old school D or the old school Red Wings logo, I would I would choose a 2014 Winter Classic jersey. I know it would be really out there. And, again, I'm I'm a big believer in red and white for the Red Wings. But tell me there isn't just like an unbelievable Red Wings jersey to be made with some inverted colors with the Lions Honolulu blue. Ah, uh, yeah. I love the it, mock-ups, like the cross, yeah. the, the Tigers-Lions Red Wings crossovers. Like, there, it makes no sense. I don't know I don't know why the Red Wings would ever wear a Honolulu blue. But hell if that wouldn't look absolutely dope. We're flying in the face of good design here, but the Pistons teal jersey. But somehow, oh, hell yeah. Somehow make that oh Red Wings. Oh my God, yeah. Oliver, to any listeners who are designers, this is uh, this is your chance to do some great mock-ups here. I know we have a few, a few really good uh, jersey designers listening. Evan, if you had to pick any single one, mm, something with the Falcons would be cool too. I would love to see teams. Well, Katrina maybe originally started kind of like this, but maybe do like an eight-bit version of the Red Wings logo. If there's oh. a retro night, and you could do the numbers in eight-bit as well. Cool. I think it would it would maybe aesthetically look cool, and all the well, us boomers would. Uh, Appreciate that. You're such a nerd. Yes, I'm just trying to think of something different than what you guys have already said. All right, let's clearly go. there's options. There's lots of options. What I will depressingly wrap this up with is be, whenever you switch over to New Jersey manufacturers, which the NHL is doing from Adidas to Fanatics, it takes a long time for manufacturing to get up to speed. And it's going to sound ridiculous because you're like, it's cloth. Why can't they do it? That's literally their whole job. But color matching, consistency of color matching, designing these jerseys, approving it team by team, like it takes forever. So even if the Red Wings do make a decision to move in this direction, I would expect years, like a few years before we see anything. A modern take on the Detroit Vipers. Oh, dude. Yes. On that, let's jump into some NHL news Maybe interesting to you, maybe not, but uh, Sherwood making a comeback in the hockey world, keeping this offseason theme going. They have brought in none other than Connor Bedard as their premier headline athlete. Sherwood's making a name for themselves rapidly. So they really, really wanted to um, get back into the modern game because they had kind of fallen by the wayside, and especially in the stick market outside of like their old 50-30 wood sticks that still float around. So they wanted to compete with the Bowers and the CCMs and the Trues of the world, but they knew from the get-go when they started making like these true high-end sticks, they were not going to get that market. So they're like, all right, 
we're going to build as competitive of a stick as we can, and we're going to price it a hundred bucks lower. Just, you know, you don't want to spend 400 bucks on a Hyperlay 2. Here, you can spend 300 bucks on our equivalent. And their first few uh, attempts at that were bad. Plainly, they were bad. But then they started getting their stuff together and they started making some better product and their innovation team was starting to catch up. And then, you know, Debrinket actually jumped on with Sherwood when they we came they came out with their new Wrecker RE1. Uh, and that was a pretty good stick. And then, you know, they made some aggressive pushes for some up-and-coming players to get them while they were cheap. And then on top of Debrinket, they were able to land Quinton Byfield when he was drafted, which, you know, that didn't work out too well. They released the code TMP Pro. That was a really good stick. Uh, Matthew Kachuk was on board by this point. They were able to get William Nylander, so people started to pay attention. And again, they hadn't changed their pricing strategy yet. And they were giving five different price point options with every stick line. So they were really, really going hard into the market. Um, they've started doing protective lines. They still don't do helmets or skates, but whatever, that, that's a harder market to get into. And then the Bedard Lulu Lemon announcement goes out and he's wearing Sherwood gear and everybody starts losing their mind. There's like, there's no way Bedard's going with Sherwood. Yeah, Kachuk, Nylander, Debrinket. That's not nothing, but that's a very small percentage in the NHL. And Bedard is the, maybe the most notable hockey, like newsworthy hockey player of the year, this year. So for a smaller company like Sherwood to land him is significant. And they have a new stick coming out this year, which I have shot, the, uh, uh, record legend pro and it's a good stick it's it actually is really nice so to see bedard using it this is uh for those of you who love nostalgia and you love seeing the sherwood brand in the nhl it's only gonna become more prevalent and they got smart because they're building a base at the retail level too at the minor hockey level because of their pricing strategy let me tell you when the leafs got uh sorry when true got mitch marner true sales spiked yeah Sherwood getting Bedard? That's huge. I can tell you firsthand, I have the numbers to back it up. Sherwood sales spiked. And way more kids who would never touch Sherwood. That's what my, my dad used. It's wood sticks. I'm not touching that. They're grabbing it now. They're using it. Like it, like you hear them, oh, that's the Betsy stick. So just seeing the name Sherwood is really, really effing cool to me. Yeah, it is cool to see the, the sticks that we grew up with, like the, those names come back. You yeah, thought they honestly. were extinct. Yeah, like I would I would use a short stick. I mean, I'm pretty loyal to my Bauer. Like I've used Hyperlates for two years and I just got my Hyperlate 2s in, which I'm probably going to use for a couple more years. So they're great sticks. I, I'm not going to switch off mine because I like what I have and I have them dialed in pretty well. But yeah, this is going to be... This is going to be a thing. And, and I, for one, as a child of the 80s and 90s, love it. All right, more NHL news. Pew Suter has found a home, not in Detroit, but he was picked up by the Vancouver Canucks to a, a nice little deal for the Canucks, actually. Two years, $1.6 million per year. That is a discount, obviously, for Suter. His entire contract value is less than his AAV that he had originally signed with Detroit, which is a $3.25 million deal. Some somewhat inside information on this is that it took so long because Pew Suter was looking for something obviously much closer to his 3.25 AAV, if not initially wanting a raise and the term as well. But that market just wasn't there for him. And Red Wings fans who've watched Pew Suter know two things. One, 
he was perfectly good, if not really efficient in a defensive aspect, especially on the penalty kill for Detroit in a depth role. Nothing to write home about necessarily, but in terms of offense, but he did produce a decent amount. You know, those 14 or 15 goals that he scored per season were as much as you could expect once you got used to the pace that he was playing at. So I think in a depth role, that bottom six role, he was actually good for Detroit. And I wouldn't have minded seeing him back in there, but for any kind of an increase of his AAV, I understand why he had to wait longer to actually land a contract and it was him coming to terms with the fact that the market's just not there. So Pew Suter is just looking to maybe have a couple more productive years and then in a couple of years once the uh, once the salary cap goes up, then it'll be a little bit better. Yeah, my first thought was, yeah, if Detroit had signed Suter to that contract, I'd have been perfectly happy with that. That seems very reasonable. But my other thought was the Red Wings already have a million depth players who fill the Pew Suter role like there's there's a huge part of me that believes within one or two years, Joe Valeno will be doing exactly what Pew Suter was doing. Could happen, yeah. And might be doing it for cheaper, might be doing it on a better contract. I don't know, you know, what type of offense does Clint Costin bring to the bottom of the lineup? It, I, I love the guy, but yeah, like the definition of effective but super replaceable. And the last piece of NHL news that we're going to talk about here, we're not going to have a discussion, but I just want to see Brad cringe. The Arizona Coyotes have declared their latest attempt at uh, buying land for an arena. So they're looking to buy land in Mesa, Arizona. They submitted a an intent to do so or something like that. But they have they have learned, and it was very well publicized that they this isn't the only basket that they're putting their eggs in. So just one option. I've changed my tune on this. I want it to happen because I want to watch all these stupid parties involved bleed money for the next 30 years. <laughs> Who says we don't care about the money of ownership on this podcast? All right, folks, uh, let's take this off-season episode into overtime. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to go the extra mile to support the show, the overtime episodes as well as the off-season bonus episodes, the giveaways, the Discord, those are just some of the benefits that you get. How does it help us? Well, you allow us to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight against substance use disorder. You allow us to uh, run events like Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings, which is completely funded by us. So really, our patrons are the ones making that happen. You also allow us to grow our expanded content network by bringing in uh, Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. So give that show a listen. And that doesn't happen without our Patreon supporters either. So patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. All right, let's take some questions here from our patrons. Kay Stenge says, there was an athletic article recently that talked about how all fan bases overvalue their prospects. Who are the top three prospects we Wings fans are overvaluing? All of them? I mean, the article was spot on. Like, every point in it was exactly right. Who are we overrating? Pick any three, and that's your answer. Like, I don't mean to sound facetious. That is the answer. Marco Casper probably isn't the savior of our top six. Neither is Nate Danielson. You know, they, there is a reality where they become those, but if we're talking- An hour into the episode, he's trying to make me punch him in the neck. Jeez. <laughs> Dude, we've talked about prospect percentages all the time. We know the likelihood. We make the Axel Sandin Palica, Eric Carlson jokes. We know the low odds of that, right? Yeah. Like we talk about Simon Evanstein being a top two, two-way force. Again, statistically speaking- not going to happen. Here's where the, here's my optimistic view though. Very few prospects reach their ceiling. The Red Wings have about six or seven prospects whose ceiling are very high. Odds say a couple of them will hit it. Which two or three? We don't know. 
Will all of them? Absolutely not. No chance. But if the key ones hit, yeah, this rebuild takes an entirely different uh, trajectory. I'm wondering if Soderblom isn't one here, and I hate to... to He's too far down the depth chart for us to possibly overrate. But I think there are folks who think he's going to be a top six player. And, you know, you never know, but I do wonder if Soderblom might fit in that mold for anyone who thinks that that's a possibility for him. Uh, it, it is a possibility. As long as you come to the terms with the fact it's not likely. Like, there's a reality here. Nate Danielson's better than Dylan Larkin. It's probably not going to happen. There's a reality here. Nate Danielson is our fourth line center for 10 years. Like, You know what? I think my actual answer here is Bichelnikov for one reason. He is, well, for a couple of reasons, actually. He is, I don't want to say boomer bust, but you kind of get the feeling of boomer bust because someone of his talent, if he makes the NHL, it's because his talent has translated, but there's so much focus on him. Assuming the boom part is going to be right. You cannot lose the fact that if Bichelnikov could just fizzle out and never make it. He, he never sniffs the show. Yeah, well, because if you compare him to, like, other top pro- Russian prospects, they were dismantling the levels he's been playing at. And he's been very good in them, but certainly not dismantling them. Like, he has to take another step in terms of his skill level to yeah. be able to hang in the show, which, again, possible, but not likely. Question here from last name P Balls and first name Drew. I did, after many weeks, figure out what you were getting me to say with that name. So good on you for pulling a fast one on me for that long. It says, with Netflix churning out these great sports docs in their Untold series, what hockey story would you want to see? One Red Wings related and one general hockey story. Holy shit. There are so many. Give I me think the like, Wayne Gretzky, Rick Tockett betting <laughs> scandal. The, oh, man. That's a great answer. And that'll never make it to air. Absolutely. I mean, there's about a million players you could pick uh, sleeping with teammates' wives. Pick one. Don't care. Average. Red Wings four or times not. A year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that could be a Red Wings one or the NHL one. Doesn't matter. Um, the one that I would love, love, love to see if we could get answers on, and I think um, Down Goes Brown, same guy who did that article, by the way, talked about on the podcast, is Yellow Sunday from the 1980s, if you remember. Yeah. That. Yeah. I, where they had – where, I I, like, I won't – Waste a ton of time, but go look it up. Basically, the NHL had to use replacement refs, find them at the last minute for a conference final game because a coach was supposed to be suspended for assaulting a ref and calling him a fat pig and telling him to have another donut. And then Lou Lamorello went to court to prevent it from happening. And all while this is happening, uh, the president, so the Gary Bettman of the time, John Ziegler, could not be reached. And the rumors about where... And the rumors about where he was, it's nuts. So i that's my NHL one. I want to know everything about Yellow Sunday. I think in general, a Red Wings one is just like, there's so many big stories as they went through the inception of the league and the inception of the Red Wings. Like, how did that come about? That's less of an untold stories, like scandalous vibe. But I think a, a, a feature on that would be really cool. It's much harder this far out to get firsthand accounts and things, but it would be... Awesome for people to know the history of how the league came about, how the original six were formed. The teams who were there before some of the original six who aren't in the league now, that is all stuff that I think would be really cool to know. I've got two that I'm super curious about, but I almost wouldn't want to watch because of how bad a light it would probably shed on the organization. But there's two Red Wings ones very specifically I want a deep dive on. Ted Lindsay 
forming the players union. Yeah, that one would be And awesome. all this shit that happened around that. Yeah. Sergey Fedorov and his contract with Carolina. Oh, the fe- like if you just like give me everything with Fedorov from the time he gets to the NHL to the time he ends up in Columbus. I want it all. You kn- like the- it was it was a ride. His name still isn't in the rafters. The passion runs deep. I would love to know more about that. Okay, let's take on another question here. Beer League Defenseman says, question about stick grips. I've been seeing varying online opinions about different grip options, and it's a bit much to digest. These options include regular stick tape, lizard skins, butt ends, tennis grips, etc. Any insight into these options and which would you recommend? And which do you recommend to help your gloves last a bit longer? Before you jump into this, Brad, as someone who's not a stick taping maniac like you are, for my entire life I have taken a a long strip of stick tape, spun it, and so it turns into a little wire. Uh, loop so it around the, yeah, so you do yeah, a twisty. The standard, yeah. Yeah. And I do like just a little bit extra on the knob. And seeing like actual off the shelf products now that you just slide onto the stick, I was I'm like, this is this game has science some, has gone too far. Science has gone too far. What happened to the good old days Kids where you spin days, the eh? tape? You yeah. don't even know. All right. So let me start before I get into the depths of this, and I'll try and make it as quickly as I can. This is entirely a preference thing, and I understand that. You go with whatever you feel is comfortable. Everything outside of regular stick tape is going to help save your gloves, whether that's grip tape, a lizard skin, a butt end, you know, a tacky mac, command grip, whatever. They're all going to help your glove. Like regular stick tape, the one that you use on the blade, is going to wear through your glove faster than those. Um, so it's all preference. Now, let me tell you why I hate everything but grip tape. Thank you. <laughs> Lizard skin, too thick, tends to unfurl. I just, I use a very simple knob on mine. I, I don't have anything super thick or bulky at the top of my hockey stick. I was very carefully phrasing all that. <laughs> it sounds like a golf club conversation. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I got to walk around this because I give Evan shit for it all the time. But yeah, no, very, very basic at the top of my hockey stick. Um, and I don't love the, how thick and f- spongy the lizard skin is, but there are people who love that. And I understand why the one I've never been, the type I've never been able to wrap my head around is like the butt ends and the command grips where you like have to s- lube up this stick and Evan, this is as dirty Jesus as sound Christ. and literally <laughs> slide it on like it's a, like <laughs> go on podcast yeah. after dark. Anyway, parents with the kids, I'm sorry. Because if you put that on, it doesn't come off. So if you break your stick a day later, you just threw 30 bucks away on a grip where you can get just as good, if not a better of a grip with very basic grip tape. Renfrew Howie's doesn't matter. I like Howie's just because I, I find it's a little grippier than the Renfrew and it lasts a little longer. You but can't be doing hand gestures, dude. That's too much. I have to or else. Anyways. So yeah, it's entirely preference, but I like just regular grip tape with a conservative amount of tape on the top of my stick. If you do one of the Nick Lidstrom, like, like holy shit, you, put, do... you basically just take the roll of tape and like put it on top and you're like, I'm done. Let us know who hurt you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just cause Nick did it doesn't mean you should do it. Nobody should do that. It's more impressive that he was able, able to be as great as he was with that hindrance on the top of his hockey stick. That's like that's like Michael Phelps smoking weed and still being like the greatest swimmer of all time. 
He, I think he did it to like even the playing field. I like so. I'm gonna put a five pound weight on top of my hockey stick and still be the greatest defenseman of my generation. Before we wrap, I will say I used to make fun of those who would have massive, massive amounts of tapes for an entire like hand or hand and a half length. And the then Mark so, Stone, the Mark Stone, and someone was like, "Yeah, because they broke their hand a million times. It's more comfortable." I went, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." That is very. If you do that because you think it's cool, it's not. If you do that because you're recovering from an injury. Totally understandable. Got a super stroke on a hockey stick. Yeah, no kidding. All right, folks, uh, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. This unintentionally became like equipment in Jersey episode, but I think it's kind of fun for off season. Yeah, we went from we went from uh, CTE and fighting and injuries and the future of these people's lives too. We're talking about Jersey's Sherwood tape. That's right. (laughs) Welcome to the off season. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in. Remember JamieDanielsFoundation.org to get your. Tickets to the Roast and Toast, August 26th at Motor City Casino in Detroit. If you want to support the show and go the extra mile, Winged Wheel Pod- or patreon.com slash podcast. And if you can't or don't want to contribute on Patreon, other ways you can support the show is subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a rating, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google, wherever. It does help a lot. Tell a friend about a show about the show. To all of you who are tuning in, new and old, thank you so very much for listening. To all of our patrons, we owe it all to you, our name-level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, on behalf of the Mooseheads, I apologize for Firk, Zadina, and probably McIsaac, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Buck the Suckeyes, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Carzone 13, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere, But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Golf Isn't Even That Fun, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Larkin the Cat, and Raymond Walk Into a Bar, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, RA, Red Three, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Brian Vasha, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciate is About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Adam Rose, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, I'm from Waterloo, where the vampires hang out, Instructions on clear cheese bag no longer fresh. James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt K. Cannon Fodder of the Cheesebag Army, Maximilian, Max Boltman's Secret Gruff Sparty Tattoo, Melissa Erickson, Norris Cider, Ophelia, Steven, Tatar Sauce, The Hodag, The Hat 123, Winging It in San Diego, Wings fan in Alaska, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.